Welcome to another episode of the Monday Morning Pastor Podcast, brought to you in partnership with Missio Alliance and Kairos Partnerships. Hey, Doug, how you holding up there, buddy? Pretty good, man. Pretty good. Weather's been holding up, so I feel like I've been holding up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, what interesting times we continue to live in, huh? Seriously. But hey, there's some really big news uh, that I think you should you should share. Yes. Yes. Uh, several months ago on the podcast, we talked about this, but a year ago, almost to the week, uh, there was a dream that was dropped in my heart over a conversation that I had with my dad over dinner on a bridge over the Bosphorus River in Istanbul, Turkey. And, uh, and it was this dream that God dropped in my heart to see a hundred pastors, their tuition fully funded, uh, for two years in Bible colleges in India and Pakistan. And uh, we called it the Hall of Tyrannus Initiative and launched it a year ago and thought, man, what a crazy, big, audacious goal. But it's a God dream. And if God's involved in it, let's, let's run after it. And uh, truthfully, I was pretty scared, um, but incredibly invigorated by this idea. And so we've been working really hard. And uh, a few uh, up, up until a couple months ago, we had hit 87% of the funding of all the students, which is awesome. And then the pandemic hit. And I thought, oh, no, the financial uh, downturn, the pandemic, like we're, this is going to be put on hold for a long time. And yet unsolicited over the last few weeks, there were people I didn't reach out. We did. We had no more communication about it people started coming to me and saying, Hey, I want to give to this. Hey, the Lord prompted me to do this. Hey, I, it, it was just amazing. And then, and then just recently we got word that we passed the 100% fully funded of a hundred pastors, uh, and their full Bible college tuitions paid for, uh, in both India and Pakistan. I mean, I'm just elated. I, the other day when we found out, like I was, I've just, I think I cried or teared up every hour that I was awake since I learned the news. And so I still catch myself just like getting choked up by all of it. It's just amazing to see God's faithfulness. I continue to be inspired by the faith of the leaders, the teachers, the students that are over in these countries. And I'm inspired by people's generosity at the time where they quote unquote should not be giving mm. <laughs> and where people are hoarding. People just began to be generous. And what's even amazing too, are how many people that said, why stop at a hundred? I know you've hit it already. Can I still give? And people mm. are still giving. That's like, crazy. Yes, That's yes, awesome. yes. So I love that attitude. Why stop at a hundred? People are like, I still want to give. Send me the link. So Dang. that's been super fun. Yeah, so. it was it was really cool to get the video that you sent to a few of us. <laughs> I was like, dang, those oh, are, I got a little choked up there. Those are precious tears, man. <laughs> I loved, loved, loved just celebrating that with you. And yeah, I was I was like semi, semi-joking, but also thinking, I wonder if JR is gonna design a course called Called pastoring in the pan pastoring in pandemics because uh, <laughs> we we always talk about the courses that we didn't have in seminary that would have been helpful. <laughs> so I'm like, you need to you need to jump on that. Yeah, it's uh man, it it's been it's been amazing. Um, and and all the more, I mean, just so inspired by these these pastors and missionaries and students of these Bible colleges that they're they're risking their lives through suffering. But uh, and, and persecution, but also like health. I mean, mm. it, India and Pakistan, there are many people starving because mm -hmm. there's a food shortage happening because of this pandemic. And so, I mean, just even more difficulty added on top of this. And yet they still are willing to voluntarily go to school to be equipped to learn how to talk about the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. It, it just continues to inspire me. Tentatively, I was scheduled to actually go. Uh, there were There was someone who... Uh, paid for me to go to India to be a part of this. And uh, obviously that's going to be put on hold international travel for a while, but hopefully God willing in 2021 to be there. I've been invited to teach some classes at the Bible college and would love to be there to see sort of that next cohort, next wave of students graduate, which I'm sure I'm just going to weep like a baby when I see that, mm. um, see them and, and meet them face to face. But uh, <laughs> as exciting as that is on the other end, it's also been really heavy. Mm -hmm. and, and I think part of the reason why I wept so much is because it's been so heavy in this season. It's like that good news. Like I just needed that. I know many other people said they, they needed to see God's faithfulness and God's goodness and generosity through people in such a heavy time. And so it is heavy. I mean, on the flip side of that, from joy to we've also heard recently 
about the news of a very well-known pastor who had a fall several years ago, was restored, went through this beautiful, restorative, healthy process, was helping other pastors, ran a podcast with someone else to help them care for the souls of pastors. And he takes his own life. And I think that, I don't know about you, Doug, but that's really, that's sent a lot of people into a, into a spiral, a lot, asking a lot of questions more than normal. Man, if this guy mm. not only was a pastor that was restored healthily and helped other pastors, is anybody spared from the realities mm. of suicide? And so anyway, I'm not sure how the news hit you, but man, it's really, it's really thrown me. I've really been jolted by this more than most announcements. Yeah. Yeah. I think a couple ways, same thing, just feeling the a deep sense of heaviness for pastors and leaders. And, uh, you know, I like the, the, the term that keeps kind of hitting me is um, just deep fatigue. Um, yeah. And I think too, um, in that even a little more personally, I was, um, chatting with, with the gentleman on Monday who, who was a close friend of Darren's. And then, mm. um, your brother actually, yeah. your brother interviewed, interviewed, um, just a few months ago, interviewed Darren and, and, um, he was like, you guys have to have him on. He'd be really great to talk through like some of the issues that you guys are working through. And, and it's just like, my heart just feels heavy for his family, for the community. And even just for pastors, it feels yeah. like such a, another, it just feels like another big loss. Um, and and just trying to figure out words on how do we grieve it well and what does that what does that look like and and just thinking about his family and friends and just a, a community that's deeply saddened um, but it just feels bigger I don't know it, it it feels heavier so yeah I'm struggling to put it to words uh, I've actually been, I wrote about it a little bit the other day just uh. just as I was journaling I felt like I should probably pay attention to this it just kept coming back to my mind and yeah I think um, I'm just deeply saddened. Yeah. There's universal pain, obviously, with the pandemic. There's national pain among pastors regarding this you know, particular uh, pastor, but also personal pain. I mean, you and I, uh, we've experienced two people in our community who have died mm -hmm. over the last few months or few, last few weeks, I should say. They didn't contract COVID, but because of the complexities around the reality that exists because of the virus, we can point it back to the fact that, um, you know, indirectly that that they're not here because of that. And yeah. you and uh, and Ben led a wonderful funeral for one of them. But it was, and you know, it was strange. It was strange for me just attending uh, the funeral on Zoom. How yeah. do you grieve through a screen? How do you have a, a pixelated opportunity to grieve with others when you can't be in the same room, you can't touch them, you can't hug them? It was wonderful. I'm so glad we did it in the limitations. It was a beautiful service, but there's just still that lack of closure, mm -hmm. you know, especially with this gentleman who was in my house church. Like I can't yeah. even be with my house church shepherds uh, and leaders. I mean, and, and people in the house churches just say like, ah, oh, just want to give a hug as we grieve him. Mm -hmm. And so it's national, it's international. And it's also personal uh, for our own community. So there's been a lot of heaviness. And I think I've been reminded, Doug, the importance of soul care in this season. Yes. Um, not just for us personally, but also this podcast and why we exist. And so we just want to say, uh, if you know of some pastors that would benefit from this podcast, that just have uh, someone, uh, even via podcast, uh, that can just walk alongside of them, that's the whole point why Doug, Doug and I do this. And so we want to encourage you, if you're listening, who could you forward this episode to? Who could you let people know? Who could you share this with that you sense needs some encouragement? Because we really believe that this interview we have coming up with this guest is really important as we talk about, about pastoring and about mm -hmm. self-care and soul care. And what is the whole point of ministry to begin with? In the complexity, we need to get back to the basics. And so, mm -hmm. Doug, I know that you've resonated with our guest, David Hansen, mm -hmm. and we'll talk about a little bit more detail Um his bio, his bio here in just a minute, but, but you've had a chance to connect with, with David. What has <sighs> that been like? Oh my goodness. It's been such a gift. Um, yeah, we've, we've chatted, uh, probably about a half a dozen times on the phone since we interviewed, uh, him just a few, I guess a couple just short, you know, not too long ago. And I've just, 
feel like I have have I have the gift of having um, a mentor and a friend who's mm. who has forty years of ministry who is just walking alongside and listening and sharing stories and we share a, a deep love for fly fishing and so it's been really good um, just to be able to share some of that but I there's just such deep wisdom and grace that I've noticed in the conversations um, even as I've been processing through my own soul. Um, yeah, I, I, I had a moment just, a, uh, last week we chatted for a little bit and just sharing about how my, my soul just felt really dry, felt really heavy and weighty. And, um, you know, I just said, I feel like this is one of those moments where it's like really hard to find words to pray. And he, he just made a comment and I'm going to mess up the words, but he just basically said, that sounds like you're praying pretty well then, wow. um, with the words not coming. And so I was just deeply encouraged by that. And, um, he, he, uh, he's just been such a gift, um, to me. And, and I think too, it, it's just this beautiful reminder. One of the things that's worried me a bit in, and that I've been thinking through is in a season like this, where everything has moved digitally, where are some of those relationships that we can be forming that aren't digital, that are just, uh, relationships with people that you might not, I mean, I, I haven't been face to face with David yet, but I feel like I, he's gotten to know me. He's given me sacred space to get to know him too. And I'm just grateful for that. Um, so yeah, I'm super pumped about this. Um, when people ask me like, Hey, I'm thinking about being a pastor. Uh, the book I normally give them is the art of pastoring or, or a pastor who has been ordained. That's the book that they get from me because I just, there's such a, there's such a wealth of, of, uh, just love and care and grace and permission in the book. And so I'm super excited for this interview that we have with David. guest today is David Hansen. David was a pastor for 40 years. He served as a pastor in Cincinnati, Ohio, and also in rural Montana, the setting for many of the stories in his book, The Art of Pastoring, Ministry Without All the Answers, a book that you will hear throughout this episode that is one of our favorites and one that we recommend to you all highly. He is also the author of Loving the Church You Lead, Pastoring with Acceptance and Grace. He was a contributing editor for Leadership Journal and is a frequent speaker at pastoral ministry conferences. In 1999, David was awarded an honorary Doctor of Divinity degree from Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. Enjoy this conversation with David Hansen. So David, you have been, you have 40 years of ministry under your belt and that, that is rare. There's not a lot of people, uh, who I know who have had that much time and experience. And so just the simple question of how did you make it for 40 years? Well, uh, that's a good question because I've, I had to use a lot of different a lot of different strategies and coping mechanisms to make it that long. <laughs> mm. uh, uh, I, I struggle with my mental health. And so uh, I had to uh, deal with that uh, mm. and get counseling and start taking medication and things like that about uh, two thirds of the way through. Um, I had uh, a number of what I called uh, one day contracts with God mm. where I would uh, tell the Lord, I'd say, Lord, I'm going to quit. And um, I felt like anyway, uh, God would say, can you do it one more day? And I'd look at the day ahead and I'd say, yeah, I can do that. Mm. And then have another one day contract with God. It, it, Ministry feels overwhelming if you're trying to swallow it in one big gulp. Mm. Think, how am I going to do this for five more years or 20 more years or 30 more years? But if you think of it in just uh, what do I actually have to do today, although there are some real tough days in ministry, um, I found that I could handle it one day at a time. And that's kind of proverbial. But for me, it was survival. And um, uh, because of uh, some of the things I was going through and uh, just uh, 
wondering what was going to happen next and that kind of thing. Mm. Wow. Well, and thanks for your willingness to be honest about your own mental health struggles. I know today it's much more open and it's talked about regularly, but I know that uh, years ago, decades ago, that the stigma was was present and much larger than it is today. Was that something that was hard for you to admit when you realized you needed some help regarding your own mental health as a pastor? Well, uh, I counseled other people to go get counseling. And uh, so I... Uh, didn't want to be a hypocrite when I felt like I needed counseling. Um, and uh, my own wife, had, my own wife, Debbie, had been taking antidepressants for years, and that helped her a lot. So um, when my turn came to get professional help, uh, I'd advised it. I'd seen it help my wife. Uh, and so I was all in on it. Uh, I didn't. Uh, tell my people about it, but I did not tell my people about it. Some people knew, some people didn't know. Um, I didn't try to hide it. I'll know, although neither did I just uh, uh, spout it out. Um, when I was in Montana, that was a different situation because in Montana, there's not a lot of healthcare professionals. And I was in, I was near Missoula, Montana for a while, which had some counselors. And I near Belgrade, uh, near Bozeman, Montana for a while, and they had counselors. But I, I never took counseling when I was in those settings. Um, those were some hard settings for me too, but uh, I just chose not to. I, I did get some help from a spiritual director, an old Catholic priest that helped me with my prayer life and was also wise in psychological things. And he helped me quite a bit. I'm very grateful for Father Oblinger and what he did. Um, I was blessed to get to know Eugene Peterson early. And he, he and his wife, Jan, had a place in Montana, um, just a couple hours drive from where we were living. And so, and I was talking to him over the phone. And so he gave me encouragement. Um, and, uh, so I had help and, uh, uh, took it. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I, I think I know both, uh, JR and I have a deep appreciation for, um, yeah, just <laughs> Eugene Peterson and spiritual directors. And, uh, what right. would you, what would you have to say with, uh, for pastors that might be feeling really alone right now? Um, and not feeling like they have some of those resources available? Well, you know, it's they're more available than ever. Um, and um, But there are pastors who are pastoring in small places really farther from professional help than when I lived in Montana. And uh, some of them have to drive hours and hours to get help. But... Um, uh, if you have to drive four hours and get an hour's worth of help and drive four hours home, it may well be worth it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, the pastoral ministry is a kind of place where taking care of ourselves is uh, so crucial to the ministry. It's not like you can't be a hurting pastor and, and, and fulfill your duties mm -hmm. um, because you can, but um uh, if it's, if it's going to be a four hour drive and an hour's help and a four hour drive home, then your family and your church may benefit for that far more than if you tried to stay home and, and got out that day in, in what would be typical pastoral work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, David, one of the things that I, I love as, as a IVP author and writer myself is not only how, did you articulate the thoughts and the posture well, but you are a gifted writer. And I know I'm not the first person to tell you this. I'm going I'm to just read a paragraph, and then I would love for you to just extrapolate and expound upon this a little bit further. But um, you talk about how this the, the book, uh, The Art of Pastoring, is an Ebenezer story. And you talk about that idea of Ebenezer uh, from 1 Samuel 7, uh, where it talks about, thus far the Lord has helped us. 
and, um, and how it was a fairly common practice in Israel. And then you said this, by writing this book, I am not claiming to have been a good pastor. All I claim, and this seems bold enough to me, that I have been a pastor. I have failed many times. Many times I have violated my own precepts of pastoral ministry. As I look back on my ministry, I do not see my faithfulness. What I see is God's faithfulness. My performance has been mixed. God is the one who's been faithful at every point. My faithfulness, to the extent that I have been faithful, has had its roots in God's faithfulness to the people he has called me to serve. It is a great mystery to be a pastor. To the memory of God's faithful and mysterious work, I have stacked these rocks. Mm. I mean, that's, a, that's unbelievably poetic and articulate uh, with words, but also on the pastoral calling. Could you expound upon that uh, a little bit more for our listeners? Well, um, first of all, I always wanted to write, but I was uh, a terrible writer at first. Mm. Um, I had to learn how to write. I was reading, um, I was reading theologians and Carl Barth, who writes with all these semicolons, and uh, <laughs> uh, I was writing these long sentences, and I'd send things to Eugene and different things. So I had to learn how to write. I uh, spent a whole summer reading um, uh, uh, Hemingway and uh, the, uh, the uh, book, the, the Elements of Style by Strunk and White was extremely helpful for me. And so I had to teach myself to write uh, along the way. So hearing that you like my writing means a lot, but it's not something that I was... Uh, just born with. I wasn't a great writer in school, um, but it's something that you can learn. And I'd, I'd encourage people who want to write to to learn how to write and to take the steps to learn how to write mm. and to mm. have people help you um, critique your writing. Mm. So... Are there I any parallels? I appreciate the comment, but it was hard. it was hard won. Well, you've, it, it's hard for me to believe because I, I kept thinking as I read the book, uh, my goodness, this guy is good with words. And uh, so I'm really grateful for that you were willing to share that. I know you have other books as well, but this one certainly re has resonated with, with Doug and myself and many other pastors. Um, are, are there any parallels between writing and pastoring? Well, I've never been asked that question before. That's a good one. Um. Well, the better you can get with words, the better you're going to be in preaching and teaching and even counseling, probably. Um, so I think that I think that's helpful. Um, there, there's a lot of great pastors that that uh, aren't meant that aren't uh, writers and probably won't write. So uh, I don't I don't know about that. Mm. Um, I don't know. Mm. Yeah. Have, is there anything that you wrote in the book that look you look back and you don't regret, but you say, I might have worded it differently, or I wish I could have added that, or or do you say, everything in here, this is wonderful, and I'm grateful, and I wouldn't change a thing? Well, I had the opportunity to make those changes because they put out a second edition. So I did go through and make some changes, but um, when I read it, I haven't read it in years, but when I do look at it, I'm I I like it and um, feel pretty good about it. So, uh, and when I look at the articles that I wrote for Leadership Journal over the years, feel pretty good about it. Um, so I'm I'm blessed to feel a sense of that that worked out when it comes to the writing. I I I don't write now. I don't have anything to write about. I'm just a birder now. Mm. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned you mentioned being a birder. I know hobbies have played a role. Uh, you know, my personal oh, yeah. my my personal interests. I mean, as a as a, a an avid fly fisherman myself, I we could probably just do a whole podcast just on fly fishing, and I right. would be enthralled and excited. But what what? What roles have hobbies played for you just as you've, you know, how's, how have they helped you become a better pastor? Well, you know, for fly fishing, um, I would often go off and fly fish on Thursday or Friday when I was thinking about my sermon because I found out that I could 
Uh, and this was just uh, even walking. I can think better when I'm walking a lot of times than when I'm than when I'm just sitting at a desk. So getting out and taking a long walk, going to a park, going to a river, uh, very often, or just pacing the floors in the church, um, helped me think better. I think pastors need to find the the setting in which they think best and not feel guilty like, well, I'm not in the office constantly. Um, your, your sermons, your Bible studies, um, the things you write for the church are crucial, crucial things. It's amazing to think uh, how much the church pays us to do just a few, a few things well. Mm. And um, uh, it's whatever we can do that, that helps us prepare best mm. is what we need to do. And when I lived in Montana, I'd go out fly fishing and, and think about my sermon and work it over and, uh, you know, I used to ask myself sometimes, how will the devil be defeated by the word of God this Sunday? Oh, can you and, say uh, that again? Just one more time. How will the how, devil? How will the devil be defeated by the word of God this Sunday? Mm. And mm. I pray it over and over and uh, think about it. And I stopped feeling guilty about fly fishing and thinking about my sermon when I realized that they're better when I'm out there doing that for some reason. Mm. So or taking hikes in the wilderness, or, or, or when I, uh, when I pastored in an inner city church, walking on the sidewalks, uh, and pacing the floors of the church, um, I think better when I'm moving, and so that that produced better material. Mm. And when I was writing, same thing. Well, you mentioned it's amazing how pastors are paid to do a those few things well. So without assuming anything, let me ask you directly, what are those few things? Well, preaching and teaching are big. Strategic calling. I wasn't a, a, a rabid caller. Uh, I could at any moment constantly feel guilty about calls that I think I should have made. Um, but calling is, is certainly very important. Uh, one of the things that I enjoyed doing, uh, invariably enjoyed doing, was going out to lunch with men in the church. Um, I I could have done it with women, but I just chose to stick with men in the church um, uh, and uh, meet with them for lunch and find out. And my goal was to find out what they did, mm-hmm. and not to not to. I never. Uh, unless it was agreed upon ahead of time that we were going to talk about a church program or something like that. I always wanted to find out what they did. I wanted to give dignity to it um, because a lot of them thought that what I did was more important than what they did. And I didn't feel that way. So I wanted to hear what they did. I asked questions about what they did for a living or, or in their family. And, uh, just tried to get to know them better. And boy, that was a really a, a, a good thing to do. Mm, I, mm. I always found that men were willing to go out to lunch with me if I showed up near where they worked. And that, that was a place where I did really succeed in calling was in doing that. Now, just to clarify, when you talk about strategic calling, you said, I, I should have made more calls or I'm grateful when I made the calls. Are you talking metaphorically or quite literally that picking up the phone and giving someone a phone call? Uh, well, giving someone a phone call, I'm a, sh- I'm a shy person, and so uh, I tend to wonder why people would want to talk to me or why they'd, why they'd want me to spend time with them. And so I had to overcome, uh, well, why would they want me to call them? What would we talk about? Uh, with men, it was different. I had a, had an, a kind of a clear agenda um, in the church. but. Um, I think I think a lot of pastors feel guilty about not doing enough calling. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I would that, I would that agree. Comes territory. There yeah. are some pastors who are very outgoing and call a lot and, and I can easily admire that, but it was something that I had to overcome. Mm. Um and then of course there's hospital calling, which I 
uh, invariably found to be helpful and beautiful and filled with God's presence. It was uh, easy to walk in. Not, not The situation wasn't always easy to be around, but it was um, something that was a beautiful thing to be a part of. It was a privilege to be a part of. Um, and since I, you know, I pastored multi-generational churches, uh, I had always, didn't always have someone in the hospital, but we had elderly people that I called on. And, uh, you know, one of the things I did as a pastor, uh, which was really helpful was I had a midweek Bible study with, uh, older ladies in the church. If you don't have older ladies in your church, it might be a little different thing. But uh, I'd, I'd meet, we'd meet at, uh, say, Tuesday morning at 10, and we'd start exactly at 10, and then we'd finish exactly at 11. And uh, if there was going to be any coffee or rolls or anything like that, they would bring it. They would sometimes, sometimes not. The key to, the key to a midweek Bible study is always ending on time. So people know they can plan their day around it rather than the pastor just keep talking on and on. <laughs> and at those, those Bible studies, I would just say, what, what book of the Bible do you want to study now? And we'd decide, and then we'd start at the very beginning and read a few verses and talk about it and read a few verses and talk about it. It was, and I didn't even study ahead of time. Uh, it was one of the easiest things I did in ministry. And boy, was it, did it pay dividends? That's I, I love I love that. Um, just the way of seeing the the churches these beautiful this beautiful tapestry of many generations together and paying attention to different ones. I think in some ways I it's it's easy for pastors to get caught in the place where we're trying to focus on the people our own age uh, or younger. Um, but being uh -huh. able to look both directions and to recognize what God is doing. Is there a particular hospital visit that just really sticks out to you still that was a space where it just felt like the presence of God was very tangible? Well, I was I was um, with a woman that was ill. She was in her 80s. She was ill. Her memory was declining. She was... Uh, a very devout Christian, very and very spiritually attuned. And um, this woman who was bedfast, all of a sudden just sat up straight in bed and looked in the corner of the room. And uh, then after a little while, uh, just slunk back into bed and I said to her, um, I forget her name now, uh, Judy, I'll just call her Judy. Was Jesus calling you? She said, yes, he was. I saw him. amazing um and so even as even as you're you know thinking about the years of pastoral ministry um what are some of the personal rhythms that you developed you know you, you mentioned uh, a spiritual director and learning how to pray you know or attending to your prayer life and you know counseling what what, what did mm -hmm. some of the what did some of the daily rhythms look like i really i mean i affirm the fly fishing rhythm i think that's mm -hmm. thanks for the permission there to be out on the water more to work on my sermon I, you're right there's something there but what what other rhythms did you develop on a regular basis that helped you stay uh, attuned to the spirit and to the lord and what he was doing well i was you know i was blessed to have two mentors in ministry older men uh, that I was an associate pastor for or a youth pastor for who, and one was a large Presbyterian church in Southern California. And one was a, um, a uh, fairly small church in central California, but 
both of these pastors um, took their day off and they both took their full vacation. And it, it would amaze you how many pastors don't take a day off and they don't and they don't take their full vacation or they don't uh, um, take care of themselves. And both of these pastors did that. And they encouraged me to take my month off. And I always bargained for a month off when I, because they all took a month off. And um, it's, boy, it's important to have those days off. And then, you know, when, when we had little kids, you know, the day off was typically a real, a family day. Um, and that was, that was good. And when they got older, then then it was more of a fishing day or a hiking day or something like that. I, you know, I, I, I remember pastors telling me that they don't take their day off. And I just said, you know, that's nothing to be proud of because you need to do that and you need to have that weekday off. And I, I would never have considered Saturday to be a day off. I was on Saturday. I was at home. Uh, usually, I didn't usually do calling on Saturday, but my sermon or my my Sunday school class, if I wasn't a pastor, I'm, if I wasn't the preaching pastor and I was teaching, say, the high school group or another group, was always broiling around in my mind on Saturday. So whatever I did on Saturday, it was my, my brain, what I was going to do on Sunday morning was in my brain. So I didn't consider that to be a day off because I have a real active back burner. And uh, a lot of creative stuff happens in the back of your mind. It only comes out later. Hmm. And that's why, that's why taking long walks when you're thinking about your sermon, um, things like that, because you need to give your back burner rest so that you're not always planning things and and making calls and doing things like that you need to give your back burner space to um and that could be just cleaning the house it could be pacing the floors of the church to be walking in your neighborhood um saying hi to people if you see them of course that's wonderful um but it wasn't downtime. It was creative time. We, we need to find out how our, how our mind thinks creatively best. Mm-hmm. And then we need to stick with it. Well, you're dropping some great wisdom here, uh, David. I'm curious, as you think about ministry today, and I know you're retired, but you've, you continue to talk with pastors and other leaders yeah. but throughout your pastoral calling. And even today, what do you believe is the greatest misconception about ministry in North America? Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't have a, don't have a critical view of pastors. And I know you're not asking me to be critical, but. Um, or maybe, maybe a better, maybe a better way to word it is, are there elements that you believe strongly that pastors need to unlearn in order to be healthy and faithful and flourishing into what God's calling us to be as pastors? Well, we need to not let the way our, our people work be the way we work. A lot of pastors feel like, you know, they have their their parishioners, whether they work for General Electric or they work on the farm or they um, teach school, um, they they have rhythms to their work, and and they they're expected to be on the job and do the job and and uh, but creative thinking, which is. I think we need to really learn how we think best and how we need to do our creative work. Doug, is is there still the pressure to 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 uh, work like your your people work, or do you feel pressure doing that? Can I throw a question back at you? <laughs> Wait a minute here. You can't flip this. No, absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I think there are there are times when I sense. You know, even on on my on the day that I take off my Friday, my Sabbath, where I think about sometimes there might be spaces where I feel like, man, you know, most of the people in my church don't, you know, they don't have this particular day, and I might feel a bit guilty. Um, I'm actually mm-hmm. on the I'm in the process of of entering into a season of sabbatical, and I'm really excited. But there's also part of me that feels like 
you know, I've had some people say, man, it must be really nice to be able to take all that time off. I wish my job did something like that. And right. so I think there is like that definitely does feel feel like I don't think I've articulated it the way that you have but there does seem to be this idea of you know I want to make sure that you know I want to be honest about the pace that I'm at but I also don't want to be run over by the pace that other people expect um, that's right and I that's think right. there's something about there is something about the slow work of God to JR shared a book with me a couple of years ago called the I think it was called the 3 mile an hour god or something yeah. like that yeah and just even realizing that we work in a space where we don't, you know, we don't get huge results uh, instantaneously. No. Um, the results that we look for are, you know, to, again, to coin Eugene Peterson's gr like great title of a long obedience in the same direction. Um, yeah. You know, I, I really feel like to be able to, to be present to that. And I, I wonder too, how much of that changes with the with the age of the pastor and even with limitations too like you know i i had some health limitations a few years ago i went into i started having uh afib and my heart was acting all funky oh and, boy uh, as like a 34 year old <laughs> and um it was interesting because i i was pretty new at renew and jr and others were just so encouraging in that season but i think that limitation actually became this great gift of realizing like there's a pace and i have i can do what i can but also like how i just let that go and and you know allow the lord to work it's almost like sabbath all of a sudden during that season mm -hmm. became so much more holy and it kind of rewired mm -hmm. reworked and rewired stuff in me um but yeah 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 that's a good that's yeah that, I think that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> Any more well, questions for us, David? This is great. <laughs> <laughs> well, as you were talking, I was thinking that there has to be space for anguish in the ministry. Um, because whether it's uh, someone who's dying that you just don't think should be dying mm. or um, someone that's in an abusive relationship or uh, you've had a disagreement on some level with someone who's in leadership in the church or, um, you know, there's, and, and, and we need to go out and take walks or whatever we do to work through that anguish because Jesus experienced it and mm. Paul did and, and uh, we see that in the letters, you know, in the epistles. Mm -hmm. um, there's there's, there's got to be a place for how do I deal with anguish? And it can come from a lot of different directions. Um, and, uh, and that's our work. Mm. Sometimes going off and escaping the phone and working through anguish in prayer is one of the best possible days you can spend. Hmm. And it doesn't feel like you accomplished anything and maybe you got an answer and maybe you didn't to what you need to say or how you need to respond. But uh, I, I know that I, I know <laughs> that sometimes I'd uh, have a council meeting the night before. I remember this very vividly. I'd have a council meeting the night and I'd go off and fish during the day and I and and I knew there was going to be or I strongly suspected there was going to be a oh maybe a rancorous discussion and so I would uh have these mock discussions in my mind and uh uh always win of course <laughs> and then I'd get back to my car after fishing all day and say, you know, you really can't say that. Mm. And at my first response, well, what a wasted day. My second response was anything that kept me from saying that <laughs> was well worth it and well worth the church's time and money. Mm. Keep me from saying something that would be out of line. Mm. So in the ministry, you need to be able to do things like that, too. Yeah, I it's interesting and even just thinking about how 
you know, you talked, you talk about anguish and, and just thinking for sort of as, as we land the plane in this conversation, uh, I, I suspect that there's a lot of pastors and leaders who are listening today that, that are feeling discouraged and, and mm-hmm. in this place of anguish. And so, um, what encouragement would you want to offer them, um, just as they're listening today? That anguish is part of the deal. Mm. Uh, look at, I mean, I've never thought of it this way before, but you look at the main leaders in the Bible. They all experienced anguish. Uh, they all experienced things that were really, really difficult and troubling. And um, they worked their way through it. And it's not unusual. It's a, it's a pitched battle. And uh, not between flesh and blood, but principalities and powers and uh i don't mean to get into that too much but there can be real anguish in the ministry and it's not bad for us but we need to take time for it we need to give ourselves time to um work through that anguish and sometimes we need to find someone to talk to about it too well david i i think that is such a gift to pastors today. Just the permission to say that, yeah, uh, anguish is part of it. I, I think we live in a culture that's very quick to say, oh, just keep going. You'll be fine. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. don't worry about it or just try mm-hmm. put on a happy face and fake it till you make it. Um, but I think to, to, to pay attention to the anguish and the pain is, is just an, it, it sounds discouraging, but it's such an encouragement to say that, yeah, when those wounds come, when that anguish comes, Pay attention and also remember you're not alone. Talk to someone yeah, about it. That's right. Um, and so, David, thank you so much for joining us uh, on this episode of Monday Morning Pastor. We just appreciate the wisdom and we appreciate the the work that the Lord has done in and through you. Um, and thank you for sharing that with us. Doug, I know you and I try to, um, when we reflect on this, not start with the word wow. <laughs> That's something we've talked <laughs> yeah, about. every but, time. And like, yet I feel well. like we have to start with wow. Yeah. Because, um, I mean, we love the book, of course, but the wisdom that David brought, I knew it would be good. I didn't know it would be that good. Yes. Um, there, I'm not supposed to have like a favorite child. Like this is one of my favorite interviews that we've done. Me. Just the yeah. amount of, th- this just is so perfectly in line with why we started Monday Morning Pastor. Mm -hmm. Maybe we just call it the David Hansen-esque podcast now (laughs) from now on. So anyway, but I I just found it to be so, so helpful uh, for me and I imagine for you as well. Yeah. I I mean, I think, first of all, there's something really, really beautiful about, I mean, David has been mentoring me since you handed me this book seven years ago. And to actually have an opportunity to speak to someone who's mentored it. And even just the way that authors mentor pastors, it's, it's just this beautiful thing. And then to have that moment where we just get to hear him drop all this wisdom, um, and blow, blow us away. was just such a gift. Um, yeah. He starts out with like mental health. Yeah. Like he he doesn't launch in to say, let me tell you about all these profound things. (laughs) Yeah. He just said, I've had, I mean, he voluntarily just started in with that, which just shows us his humility and his willingness to say, Hey, I pastored through some dark times. And, uh, even how he talks about his one day contracts with God. That was huge. Yeah. Have you ever had one day contracts with God? I, I have, but I'm not sure I've articulated it that way. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Um, I, I had another friend say to me, uh, he said, Jerry, you can quit as much as you want. You just need to show up the next day. Mm. And I think in some ways he's kind of talking about one day contracts. He's like, yeah. He's like, I've quit the ministry 20 times. Mm. I just have cho- chosen to show up 21 times. And I thought, wow, that, yeah. that's pretty good. It's almost like the conversation that we've had before of, you know, <laughs> what... 
the Monday you sort of fill out your resignation letter and you start looking on online for Home Depot jobs. For me, I, f- I forget what your dream job is outside of uh, ministry. window washing. That's right, window washing. I, I just I love washing windows. I, I'll, I'll even like squeegee the windows, you know, like waiting for the the gas to to fill my tank, you know. And my wife will like knock on the window and she's like, "The front windshield isn't dirty." I'm like, "I know. I still like to do this." <laughs> but I mean, one day contract with God. I mean, it's almost mm. like, this is a really bad analogy. It's it's like the pastoral chumba wumba. Like yes. I get knocked down and I get up again. Yes. Uh, that's about where the analogy stops uh-huh. <laughs> in that song. <laughs> but but that idea, like when we do get knocked down, it's like, all right, God, I can give you one more day. Yeah. Just one more day. That, that was so, yeah. so well articulated. I so appreciated that. I, I really appreciated the tension that he laid out with. Um, I didn't, you know, people knew about my mental health, but I didn't, yes. I didn't speak it to everybody. It that wasn't was a public so thing, but it wasn't a private thing. It's, and I think it, it just, it just reminds me that as pastors, one of the best things we can do is just to be honest with where we are, but we don't have to make that our pulpit. Like the pulpit is a space for the word of God to continue to come forth. And yeah, we have to share about our personal stuff. Um, but I, there's just, there's such deep wisdom in that, that was so encouraging, encouraging to me. So that, yeah, that, that was huge. Um, and of course, for me, uh, we chatted yesterday uh, just to kind of get ready for this. And so to hear fly fishing stories from Montana, I was beyond shocked. And I think we will, I will call him back and do another interview just for fly fishing. We won't even include it for Monday morning pastor. I think it's just going to be called fishing with David. I've got some new ideas. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I appreciate the way that hobbies really play a role. Um, and, and even, but I think it's, it's not just hobbies. It's like he talked about, I mean, as he talks about the art of pastoring, it feels like there's so much there that really is around the art of creating which I don't know if I've ever heard anyone really frame pastoral ministry as creatively as he has. Mm, mm, that was good. Yeah, and wow, I don't resonate necessarily with fly fishing, of course, but the idea that he said he, he didn't feel guilty, that he actually would like think about his sermons, out that he thought better when he was walking, and he talked about that whole idea of being out of the office or out of the church or away from your desk. And so that's really stuck with me. He, he said something that I was just violently nodding when he said, like, I have a real active back burner. Mm-hmm. That's my mind. I have trouble sleeping at night. And so it's it's not because I'm stressed or anxious. It's that I've got just these squirrels running around in my brain that just won't chill out. And so for me, like he said, that you have to give your back burner space. And that was really helpful for me. And I think for his back burner to have space, it was fly fishing and being a birder. And for those of you who don't know, birder means someone who enjoys bird watching. Um, And so, you know, that's, that's great for him, but I have other things. And so for me, yeah, I mean, um, thinking by walking has been helpful here in the West Ward of Lansdale Mm -hmm. to just walk and walk. And it's amazing how I think I'm wasting my time when I start and then it just really solidifies either an idea or I go, why am I so anxious about that? It's not that big a deal. I just need to kind of step away from it. Um, that happens a lot for me when I swim. Like, you know, in fact, the most anxious I get swimming is when I'm like, these are great ideas. I have no place to write them down. I'm in my <laughs> swimsuit. I have no phone. I have no paper. How am I going to remember this? I got to shower quick and then write it down in the locker room. I mean, literally, like I say stressful. It's not that stressful. But I have yeah. these ideas and then I'm worried that I'm going to forget them. But that idea of just thinking better when you have space for your back burner uh, really stuck with me. Yeah, I, I agree. And and I think the permission of that in terms of, I appreciate the way you nuance that too, JR, recognizing that we're not all fly fishermen, we're not all walkers, but where is that space? Like, what does that actually look like where, where you can think? And and to, to say that even the way that you've, like, you're not wasting your church's dime when yes. you're doing that. Like yeah. that's actually part of your calling. Um, and man, I love the story of being in the room with the, with the lady who is ill and, and her, you know, seeing Jesus. Like I, I don't, I think there's many times when I'm tempted to, to believe the lie that just me showing up doesn't really matter. I don't have the answers or I don't, you know, I don't know what to do in this situation, but just being present um, you have an opportunity to see these amazing miracles take place right before, right, you know, right before our faces just by showing up. And yeah. so, 
Yeah. And, and I think too, even the way that he talked about, um, we're just basically recapping the entire interview here. <laughs> but There's very little yeah, we didn't find yeah, helpful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but even, even the whole idea of, um, I know I live with this feeling like, in fact, just this week, I had a, a moment where I had a conversation with someone who's in the process of discerning whether they stay you know, whether they stay or leave and just trying to like work through the difficulty of, man, I should have done this more. I wish I, maybe if I would have called more, I would have paid more attention. And and I think that's a very real thing that we, that pastors and ministers live with of, mm. man, what if I could have done that or this? And just realizing that that's normal. I, I'm, I was, that's what I feel like I felt like the whole time. It's like, oh, Oh, this is a case of the normals. Oh, I'm not crazy. I'm not out of my mind. Yeah. Yeah. I'll never um, hear the word anguish the same again. Mm. Um, that it's not unusual to experience anguish, that there is a place for anguish in ministry and working through anguish in prayer is such an important practice. So, um, and I'm sitting there going, of course, why have I never seen this? Like all throughout Paul's letters, Jesus is in anguish. Anguish is kind of the heart cry throughout the Old and the New Testament. Why have I never noticed this word? So I, I'm, I'm going to sit with that some myself of mm. what does what does it mean to anguish healthily mm. uh, in that. So, um, yeah, we, we want to give you some resources and some questions, as we always do. And the resource that we want to recommend is The Art of Pastoring, Ministry Without All the Answers, David Hansen's book. Uh, we, Doug and I want to be really adamant about this. IVP is not paying us. We are not endorsing this as an infomercial for any sort of credit or gain. Um, we are doing this because we absolutely believe in this book. We believe that if you're a pastor and you haven't read it, you need to log on right now online and you need to order this book. Um, David uh, really helped shape my narrative and Doug, your narrative of what does it mean to be a pastor that's different than the business model American pastor mindset. And uh, of course, Eugene Peterson, but don't take our word for it, by the way. You know we love Eugene. You know Eugene has influenced us directly and indirectly. On the cover of The Art of Pastoring, the revised edition that David wrote, there's this quote from Eugene Peterson, and it says, quote, this is the freshest and most honest book on pastoral work you're ever likely to come upon. I'm going to say that again. This is the freshest and most honest book on pastoral work you'll, you're ever likely to come upon. Now, when Eugene Peterson says that about a book, <laughs> you know it's legitimate. You so, should buy it. <laughs> yeah. And if you don't believe us and you don't believe Eugene, let me just read the first two paragraphs of the opening chapter of David's book. My face sinks into my hands, but the desk is too cold for my elbows. The space heater with the cloth-covered cord has warmed the air. My breath doesn't show, but the steel desk warms excruciatingly slowly. It's freezing me. I'm too cold to read a book. My office is a lean-to attachment to the fellowship hall of a community church in rural Montana. There's no wall heater, no thermostat, no insulation. The place warms from scratch every morning. It's six weeks into the new year, six weeks into my first pastoral charge, 33 degrees outside and sleeting. It's sleeting in my soul. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I've been called, educated, interned, and ordained. I have learned lists of tasks to do, but not what I am to be. I'm cold and afraid. There are a hundred things I could do if I could just stop shivering. That's how the book opens. So we highly recommend this book and uh, so, so good. So that's, that's the resource, but we also want to give you another resource. Actually, David gave it to you. We're just highlighting it again. And that's fine where you think best. Take a walk this week. Go for a hike. If you need to go fishing, go fishing, but that can be an incredible resource and do it without feeling guilty. Do it without feeling like, oh, I shouldn't be doing this. I should be really doing real ministry stuff. And we want to encourage you in that resource, see that as real ministry stuff as you're doing it. So those are the two resources. Doug, yeah. what are some questions? Yeah. The, the two questions that we have just to be reflecting on throughout uh, the next week are, how will the devil be defeated by the word of God? I That was such an important question um, for me, just even to have David restate that. Uh, yeah. Think through that question. How will the devil be defeated by the word of God this week? Um, and then the second question is, how do I deal with my own anguish? 
And to, to actually sit with that and figure out how are you dealing? And maybe the answer is you're not. Maybe the answer is you're just running from it. Maybe the answer is, you know, you you are doing all kinds of great things for, you know, to pay attention to that. But we just want you to sit with those two questions this week. Jared, how about you send us out? Yeah, pastors and listeners, as you go, may you remember that your whole life is ministry. You're not doing ministry and then something else on the side like birding or fly fishing or fill in the blank, that you can be a part of this creative endeavor. And that if you have this very active back burner, that you can give that back burner space and that you can sit with God in your anguish and you can work through it in prayer, that you can live in a long obedience in the same direction. And so no matter how long your day contracts are with God, maybe it's one day or a week or a year, whatever it may be, just show up, just be engaged and just submit to seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will take care of itself, including your own ministry. May you go and rest in that and remember that even in the midst of the stress and the responsibilities and the difficulties and the complexities of ministry, that the tomb is empty and therefore the pressure's off. God bless and bless God.